Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Thank you all uh, for entering into worship today. It's such an important, necessary thing in our spiritual lives. Our walk with the Lord is for us to, to be together with his people doing what we're doing right now. And so I'm thankful that we're together uh, today to do this. I hope you survived the storms this past week. Apparently you did, but uh, I know it was a crazy week. Uh, Tuesday when those storms came through, Chris and Christy Jones, members of our church, had some very, very significant damage to their home and their barn and uh, some other folks I know had trees down and fences down and things like that. But thank thank the Lord. Uh, No uh, injuries that we know of, certainly no loss of life in our community and so thankful for that. Uh, uh, the fire department was uh, was out, and we thought we had some folks trapped in a house. And praise the Lord, there wasn't anybody trapped in the house, and and things like that. So man, just just praise the Lord for that. So I'm glad you're here today. Um, and it's just you know I want to I, I want to tell you something before I jump into the sermon today. I, I've told eight o'clock nine thirty, and I, I want to share this with you as well. Uh, I really believe that there's something very very significant about the church. Well, we talked about it last week, but the church praying and the prayers of the church. And it was such an encouragement to me this morning. I'm not, uh, I'm not fishing for this. I'm not, I'm not asking for this. I just want to tell you so that you can know the importance of prayer. But this morning, as our guys were gathered for prayer this morning, my phone started vibrating. I turned it on silent. My phone started vibrating. And, and so I checked to see what it was. And as we were praying, I was getting text messages from other people texting me saying, hey, I'm praying for you. And by from 6 o'clock this morning to right before 8 o'clock when I preached at 8 o'clock, I got seven text messages from seven different people just saying, hey, I just want you to know I prayed for you today. I'm praying for you today. I'm praying for you today. And, man, I'll just tell you, that is, you talk about an encouraging thing. You talk about a thing that fires a pastor up. When folks, I know you pray for me, and I appreciate that. And like I said, I'm not fishing. I'm not asking everybody to text me on Sunday and say I'm praying for you. I'm not asking for that. But I'm just telling you, it is, uh, it's because I believe that God hears those prayers. And I believe he hears the prayers of those guys that have been gathering for the last 19 days. And he hears the prayers of the church on Wednesday night when we're in here uh, calling out to him as a church. And he hears us, and, and he's, he is answering those prayers, and he's going to continue to do that. And I'm so, so, so grateful for that. And uh, so um, let's just keep praying, man. Let's just keep seeking him with all of our hearts. All right, so let me let me jump in and move into the uh, the sermon this morning. Um, don't you love being a part of a winning team? We all like to be on a winning team. Or we like for our team to win. We like for our school to win. Whatever that school may be, we like for our – I mean, Tri-County's – Show enough about some winning. You know, we uh, th- we do some serious winning at Tri-County in lots of different ways, lots of different sports. And so we all like to be, and we've all been a part of, you know, some sort of some sort of winning team, whether it was a sports team, uh, we won a game, or we, uh, you know, uh, won a tournament, or we, you won a championship, or or maybe even at work, you were on a team at work, and you 
you had to, uh, your team was responsible for some project that was going to make a lot of money for the company. And so your team collaborated and worked and worked and planned and implemented and launched this new initiative or this new, and it was a win and you, the, the company prospered and the boss was happy and, and you, you were just on a winning team. And there's something about being a part of a winning team. I will also tell you this, that I've found from experience that sometimes you can experience a victory even when the score says otherwise my son my youngest son um played soccer at hillcrest when russ was in hillcrest and we were at byram at countrywoods and so he played soccer now i know we don't play soccer around here at tri-county i wish tri-county had a soccer team maybe that would happen one day but 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 uh, you know and i didn't like <laughs> i didn't like soccer either uh, i know but you know well i mean what's the deal with soccer you just kick them up i didn't like it either i didn't understand it either until my son started playing and now that my granddaughter's playing i love soccer right and so uh we go and watch soccer games and and so she uh, anyway my son was on the soccer team at hillcrest and they were they were <laughs> they were okay all right they were okay they were a pretty good team and they won some games, and then they didn't win some games. And one time, uh, I think it was Russ's junior year, uh, we had to go play. And, and so we were, by the way, it was a lot like Tri-County and First Badge Flora. A strong connection between Hillcrest and Country Woods. Uh, we would, you know, Tri-County sometimes uses our church buses for different things. Well, we would use our, our buses and our vans for Hillcrest. And so... Uh, when I, uh, they asked me if I would drive the van because Russ was on the team, if I'd drive the van when the soccer team w- was going out of town. And Vicky and I would love, we did that. We went everywhere. And it was, you know, just went all over the state. Y'all know how you do when your kids are that age. And so went all over the state playing soccer everywhere. And so, but one, one, night, one night we had to go out, stayed in town, but we had to go out and play Jackson Prep. Yeah, yeah exactly. I heard that. You're exactly right. And, you know, prep, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, preps always had all strong athletic teams in every category, you know, and, and, and soccer was no, soccer was no different. I mean, those kids have been playing since they were in diapers together. And I, I mean, it was just uh, playing together since they were in diapers, not in diapers together, but anyway, playing together since they were in diapers and uh, just, you know, and so they, they and, I, and to their credit, man, they were really, really good soccer team. And so we went out there, and I, our coach knew that this was uh, had the had the makings of a complete bloodbath. And so the way that he chose to uh, play prep that night was that he put one person, my son, he put Russ. If you know anything about soccer, he put Russ on offense. Russ on offense. Everybody else was on defense. Everybody else was on defense to try to keep prep from scoring. And he just he told Russ, "You stay back there." in case we get lucky and kick the ball across midfield and maybe they've all gone to sleep because they ain't going to be doing anything back there and maybe you could take the ball and run down there and scare them and score a goal. Didn't happen, but that was the idea. So everybody else is playing defense to try to keep prep from scoring. End of the game, the the final score of the game was nine to nothing. Nine to nothing. By the way, we were the zero. We were the nothing and, and prep was the nine. Nine to nothing. And when the game was over and the ref blew the whistle, the parents from Hillcrest sitting on the Hillcrest side, we went nuts. We went crazy. You would have thought we had just won 
the national championship in academy soccer. And the reason we were so excited was two reasons. Number one, the score was nine to nothing. That means we kept them out of double digits. That was we were. They didn't score ten, and so we kept them out of. Seriously, that's what we were up there in the in the stands going. Come on, come on, come on! You know, just don't let them make it to double digits. And so when the, the score was nine to nothing, we went crazy. Another reason we were so excited is because Prep shot fifty-seven times. Our goalie kept it out of. 56 times, our goalie kept it out of the uh, the the goal 47 times. <laughs> so we it only got past him nine times. We went crazy. Man, we were so excited. It was so much. It was really fun. You know, when there was no real pressure to win the game, it just ended up being this awesome. And we laughed and laughed. And, and even the guys, even Rust and they were so excited, you know, that they had kept them out of double digits. It was a, a, a great night for us. But – you know, I want to tell you something, church. When thinking about being on a winning team, you and I are on a winning team. You understand that? Amen? The church is the winning team. We are on the winning team if you know Christ. Because if you don't know Jesus, you ain't on the winning team because you're not a part of the church. I don't care if your name is on the church roll back there in the office. You ain't a part of the winning team if you don't know Jesus because you're not really a part of the church. You're not really a part of the body of Christ. But those of us that know Jesus, those of us that are part of the body of Christ, those of us that are part of the family of God, we are on the winning team. And Bill Gaither said, how many Gaither fans we got in here? Come on, y'all get your hands. I know I finally got y'all's hands up in there. So y'all, so we, uh, you, so I know y'all Gaither fans remember this song that Bill and Gloria came out with years ago. It goes like this. Let the church be the church. Let the people rejoice. For we've settled the question. We've made the choice. Let the anthems ring out. Songs of victory swell. For the church triumphant is alive and well. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? And you know why the church is alive and well? Because Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church, right? So we are a part of the winning team. We need to understand that. And so we're concluding this series on the church that we've been in for the last eight weeks, the church out of the book of Acts and thinking about the church. And we're finishing up today, last sermon in the series. Next week, Lord willing, I'm going to start a short series out of the gospel of Mark that will take us toward the cross and take us toward Easter. But we're finishing up this series today. And think about what we've talked about. If you've been here for the last few weeks, think about this. If you hadn't, let me give you a quick re recap of what we've done. We've talked about the power of the church that the Holy Spirit who came at the day of Pentecost is the one who gives us the power that we need. We talked about the power of the church. We talked about the proclamation of the church, that we proclaim the gospel, and we'll talk about that again here today in just a minute. We talked about the people of the church. We talked about the, uh, that there are leaders in the church. There are deacons. There are people that serve and people. And, and we talked about the places of the church, that the church, uh, there are different places. The church can be here in this place, in this room. The church is in your home. The church is out in the world. We talked about the problems of the church. We've uh, it, it said very clearly and honestly, we know that there will always be 
problems in the church because there's problems in your life. There are problems in my life. So guess what? In this room right now, there are problems in the church. And yet you go back to the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives us the wisdom and the power and the strength to make it through those problems, right? So, I mean, we're still okay even when we have problems. And then we talked last week, we talked about the prayer of the church, the power of the prayer. The prayer of the church brings down the power of God on the church and it gives us our direction and our focus that we need. And so today we conclude this series with the possibilities of the church, the possibilities of the church. And our application statement that I want to start with is a declaration of this that we believe, that when the church is truly being the church, then we are going to make a huge impact for the kingdom of God. You see that? When the church is truly being the church, we are going to make a huge, and I made sure that the, the word huge was in all letters, capital letters, a huge impact for the kingdom of God. So yes, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the, the church in the entire world, but I want to bring it down to the people sitting in this room at 11.39 on Sunday morning. This group of people sitting in this room, this church, First Baptist Church of Flora, Mississippi, is going to make, when we're being the church we're supposed to be, we are going to make a huge impact for the kingdom of God. This church is going to make a huge impact for the kingdom of God. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. One of the reasons I'm so excited to be your pastor and so thankful to be your pastor is because I, I just believe we're in a place right now that God is about to do something amazing in our midst and about to do some things like we've never seen before. Uh, I, I told you, I, maybe last week, I told you, we talk about this on, in the staff all the time. And Mark Sanifer and I were sitting together having coffee last week, just looked at each other and go, man, can you believe that we are where we are, that we are in this church that has these possibilities? Let's don't mess this up, man, to see what God is going to do here. Amazing possibilities of what the Lord wants to do. If we will be the church, the possibilities are for a huge impact for the kingdom, are just incredible. Grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. Verse, seven, verse 6 is kind of a, the focal point for, for what I want to say, but we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Would you stand, please, as you're turning there? I hope you got your Bible with you, and if not, grab a pew Bible and turn to Acts chapter 17. We'll start in verse 1. I hear some pages turning, so I'll give you just a second to get there. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Now, I've had three times. Uh, this is my third time to get that right because I had to practice those. Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. I think that's really cool right there. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ, the Christ, to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded. They got saved. Some of them returned to Jesus. They joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But there's that word again, but... I think we've said that in nearly every sermon so far in this series. But, in other words, something else is about to happen. 
the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar. They attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them, bring Paul and Silas. They thought Paul and Silas were in the house, bring them out to the crowd. And when they couldn't find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is a, another king, Jesus. By the way, there is another king, and his name is Jesus. He is the king of kings. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. May God bless the reading of his perfect word this morning. Let's pray together. We ask you, Holy Spirit, one more time, thank you for great times of worship today and you're not tired. I'm not tired. Lord, uh, it's time one more time for you to speak to us. Holy Spirit, now I'm trusting you to do that. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. So, you know, as we have gone through the book of Acts, early on in the book of Acts, there were some people that kind of surfaced, rose to the surface as kind of the major players in the book of Acts. First of all, obviously, Peter, right off the bat, Peter is going to be probably the first one we think about when we think about Acts, because the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, everybody starts speaking in other languages, the tongues of fire, people said, man, these guys are crazy, they must be drunk, and Peter says, no, they're not drunk, let me tell you what's going on here, and he preaches the gospel, and then 3,000 people get saved. So Peter, obviously, a big part of the, he's one of the first ones you hear about, but then you got John, you throw John in there, because in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John went up to the temple to pray, and they found the lame man who wanted some money. And Peter and John said, silver and gold we don't have, but such as we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so you throw John in there, he becomes a, a major part of the early church. And he, there, then Barnabas shows up. Barnabas is a great guy, kind of an unsung hero, but uh, he's, he's, Barnabas's name means son of encouragement. My mama told me a long time ago, try to be a Barnabas to people. In other words, try to be an encourager to people. Those seven people that texted me this morning, they were Barnabas to me. Just an encourager to me. Just so think about that, y'all. Just be an encourage, be a Barnabas to somebody. Barnabas showed up, and then then uh, you, you keep on going and thinking about the Book of Acts, and you got uh, the, the you know the first deacons were formed, uh, were called out and set apart. And Stephen, remember, he was one full of the, full of the Holy Spirit, and and uh, 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 Stephen was started preaching. The deacon started preaching and sharing, and ended up costing him his life because of it. They stoned him to death they bashed his head in with rocks and killed him for preaching the gospel then you got one of my favorite guys and my one of my favorite stories in the book of acts is the book of is the story of philip and the ethiopian eunuch when he went out there and god said go out to a go out to the desert road (laughs) that's all god told him i mean just said go to the desert road how many of you would go to a desert road if God just said, go, you know, we, we want more. God, can you give me a little more information? But Philip went up, and the reason he went is because God had a plan. Because whenever God tells you to do something, God's got a plan. Amen. And so Philip went out there and ran into this Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot, led him to Christ, baptized him. And so you have these people, and there's a few others that were mentioned there in the early. But then you get to, uh, there's a new guy. It shows up in Acts chapter 7 at the beginning of Acts chapter 8. So when they were stoning Peter, uh, Stephen, when they were stoning Stephen, killing him, executing him, martyring him, it says they took off their cloaks and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Remember that? 
And then in Acts chapter 8, you flip over to Acts chapter 8, and it says, and Saul continued to persecute the church. He was dragging people out of their homes, dragging them to prison, dragging them to jail, killing people, hurting people, persecuting. He was a great persecutor of the church until <laughs> Acts chapter 9, and that is the road to Damascus. And Paul, Saul, encountered God, Jesus, on the road to Damascus, and he was gloriously saved. And it says after he was saved and after he gave his life to Christ, it says that he immediately, Saul, proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he's the son of God. So Saul got saved and started telling folks about Jesus, which is what saved people are supposed to do. And so he started doing that. And then he shows back up in Acts chapter 13, and he's pretty much the major the major character for the rest of the book, all the way to the next 16 chapters, is, is all Paul. Because Saul and Paul, I told you last week, and you know this, but Saul and Paul are the same person. He didn't change his name. He's not like other people in the Bible that God changed their name from Abram to Abraham or anything like it. He's, Saul is Paul. Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his Roman name. And so it's the same guy. And so Paul shows up, and, and he went on three missionary journeys, and Acts chapter 17 that we read this morning that we're looking at was right in the middle of his second missionary journey. And he shows up in the city of Thessalonica to do some ministry there. And he went into the synagogue to reason with the people on three different occasions. Now, most people believe that it's not like he just went there for three weeks and then left and went somewhere else. Uh, because he wrote First and Second Thessalonians, so he had a longer relationship with these people in Thessalonica. But he was at least three times he went into the synagogue to reason with them. That, that word means that he would go in and he preach the gospel and he would dialogue with them. You know, pull up a chair and say, all right, what do y'all think about what I just said? That Greek word for dialogue, for, for reason, means dialogomai, something like that, that means dialogue. That's where we get that word dialogue, where you're going to have a talk about what do y'all think about this stuff? What do y'all think about it? And he would take their, it says he reasoned with them from their scriptures. We all know their scriptures were the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. The new, <laughs> Paul was living out the New Testament, and, and then he wrote the majority of it. So he had the Old Testament. He was taking the Old Testament and explaining to them how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament about being the Messiah, the Christ. It's very significant that he said, the Christ, he's the only one. So Paul did three things when he was with them. It says there that he was dialogue, he was talking with them, he reasoned with them. But verse 3 says he was explaining things to them. In other words, he would open the scriptures up, the, the Old Testament, open it up so that he could open their minds and their soul, the Holy Spirit could open their minds to the truth of who Jesus is. Explaining things. Secondly, he's explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer. Proving, that word means presenting that truth, that this is God's plan. Old Testament, this is God's plan that Jesus would suffer and die and be the, the Messiah. Proving that. And then he says down there, again at the end of verse 3, he says, this Christ whom I proclaim to you. This is who I proclaim to you. That word means uh, a declaration with conviction. This wasn't just some nonchalant passing statement. This was a declaration. This Christ, this Jesus, 
whom I proclaim to you, who I emphatically, faithfully declare to you, is the Christ. He is. Now, I used to think when I was a little kid, I used to think that Christ was Jesus' last name. Did anybody else think that? Raise your hand if you thought that. Was I the only one? Okay, a few folks. I used to, you know, Johnny Daniels, Jesus Christ. I, I kind of thought it was that. I didn't, it's G, and some of y'all are going, hmm, I didn't know that. I, you know, I was thinking that right now, and that's okay, but the word Christ is his title. Jesus, the Christ. That means he is the chosen one. He is the Messiah. He is the only one who is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Christ. And so what Paul was doing is the same thing that the church must do. And that is to meet people right where they are. That's what he did when he went in the synagogue. He'd go into the synagogue. Meet them where they were. Meet them in their understanding of the Old Testament. Okay, this is what you've understood. Now, let me, let me take you a little further. And then he would tell them about Jesus. That's what we do too. That's what the church has to do too. Meet people right where they are and proclaim and exclaim, explain the truth of the gospel to them. And what is the truth? In fact, let me say it this way. Who is the truth? Who is the truth? Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. That's what we proclaim. We proclaim that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life in the grip of God where no one can snatch you out. That's what we proclaim. We proclaim what Paul proclaimed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, where he said, for what I received, I passed on to you as of utmost importance that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the Scripture. We proclaim that. We proclaim what Peter preached in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, when he said that there is no other way to be saved from the punishment of sin through anyone else. There's no other name by which you can be saved except the name Jesus. That's what we proclaim. That's what the church, we proclaim this gospel. We teach this gospel. We make disciples based on this gospel. We love others because of this gospel. We stake our lives on this gospel. This is the church being the church. And I'll tell you, when the church is being the church, there's some very real possibilities of some things. Number one, is the very real possibility that we're going to upset some folks. There's a very real possibility that when we preach the gospel and live out, and we're the church being the church, preaching the gospel, living the gospel, we're going to upset some people. Let me tell you something, y'all. When, when you start focusing solely on Jesus Christ, and he is your, the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 said, fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith, when he is the one that you've got your eyes fixed on, then I can promise you, you're going to upset some people. Now, you can talk about God all day long. You can talk about God all day long. Our own president closed his State of the Union address not too long ago with this last statement. May God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. And everybody stood up. 
Even the Republicans stood up. Oh, man, wasn't that, wasn't that special that he said, may God bless our troops. Wasn't that just wonderful that he said, may God bless us all. Isn't that just wonderful? Ignore the fact that he murders babies, but isn't that great that he says? Ignore the fact that, he, that, that we've legalized gay marriage in this nation, but, but, but isn't it wonderful that he said, may God bless It's politically correct to say, God bless you. But what if he had said, what if he had closed his State of the Union speech this way? May Jesus Christ, the only Savior of the world, the only way to heaven, the only begotten Son of God, of the one true living God, may Jesus Christ bless you. <laughs> wouldn't you like to watch CNN after that one? I mean, wouldn't that have been something? I mean, you would have seen, he would have been torched by every liberal politician, every liberal activist, every liberal newscaster and talk, talk show host on the face of the earth if he mentioned Jesus Christ. Because you're going to upset some folks when you preach the gospel. When Paul preached, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ, the Jews went nuts with jealousy. Because they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and they still don't. They still don't believe that he's come. They're going to find out. And they'll have opportunity to turn to him. But he's the only way, truth, and life. Ten Commandments don't save you. Old Testament Torah does not save you. Only Jesus. And unbelievers will always be in opposition to Jesus Christ, and they will always be in opposition to those of us who know Him, who love Him, who live for Him, and who proclaim Him. Now look, let me tell you something. If you want to just be a middle-of-the-road, don't-muddy-the-water kind of Christian, don't-stir-anything-up kind of Christian, that's fine. You ain't going to upset anybody. But I'm telling you, if you want to live for Jesus and you start living for Him and being the church that we're called to be because you are the church and you start doing that, then we're going to upset some people because those unbelievers, they may be religious folks that get upset like the Jews and other people that have other religions get upset if we proclaim the gospel. They may be governmental leaders who get upset like King Herod who killed James, the brother of John, and threw Peter into prison. It could be people that you work with or people that you go to school with or could be even people in your own family that get upset with you because even Jesus himself was rejected by his family. And I'll tell you one more thing. In fact, when the church starts truly, when First Baptist Flora, when the church starts truly being the church, we're going to upset some people inside the church too. Things going to get different. Be uncomfortable. Outside our comfort zone. Things are not going to always stay the way that they've always been. That's not going to do, that's not, we ain't doing that. We're not going to do that, not because I'm the pastor, but that's not what the Word of God tells us to do. We've got to be the church. We're living in a day and age that needs the church to be the church. And when First Baptist Flora starts being the church that we're called to be, and we're getting there, we ain't there yet, but when we get there, man, we're going to upset some folks inside and outside the church. There are going to be some folks we upset. Very real possibility of that. Also a very real possibility that they're going to, we're going to experience some trouble and heartache. 
You look at what happened there, man. We're always going to have trouble and heartache, man. Peter and, I mean, Paul and his friend Jason certainly faced some serious trouble and heartache for preaching the gospel. And you see what happened there. Look at what was developing as a result of that. In verse 5, you see what's going on there. The Jews were jealous, taking some wicked men. You see what happened, man. They, they enlisted a big mob of thugs, a bunch of wicked men. They, they incensed the entire city. They got the whole city worked up into an uproar. They, they encircled the house of Jason because they thought Paul and Silas were inside that house. So they surrounded this house. They dragged these guys out looking for Paul and Silas. If they had found Paul and Silas, they intended to hurt them, possibly even kill them. I'm telling you, you start preaching the gospel, you start being the church that you're called to be, and just, you're going to experience some pain and heartache. There's going to be some difficult times to come because all of this that they were experiencing was because of the preaching of the gospel, because they were being the church and doing what the church is supposed to be doing. But we need to remember something, and I'll tell you all something. I've never been more convinced of this. I guess I've known this with my head for a long time. But the experience of it now is more intense than it's ever been in my life. And that is, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against a very real enemy, Satan, and all of his forces. This is a spiritual battle. And the pain and the difficulty and the heartache that we're experiencing to a great degree is a result of spiritual warfare. We got an enemy who is growing more and more enraged by the moment. He knows, he knows the end of the story. He knows what his end is. By the way, we know the end of the story too, amen? We know the end of the story. But he knows it too. And the Word of God tells in the book of Revelation that the closer we get to the end, the more enraged he gets. And we're seeing that. We're experiencing that. In families, in communities, in churches, in ways. I'm telling you, I've seen some stuff happening in churches, churches that are massive worldwide churches. One that I know of that has about 150,000 people that worship in this church uh, at different locations around the world. And Satan is taking them down, taking their leaders down one by one by one by one. Two of them went down this past week with moral failure. Another one went down about a month ago with a moral failure. Same church. Satan is enraged with this. And he is, let me tell you something. You thought, well, yeah, he sure is way out there. No, he's not. He is looking at your life. He is watching you. I don't know what his filing system is, but I can promise you he's got a file with your name on it somewhere. And he's watching you, and he knows your every move, and he is waiting patiently, and he knows where you are the most vulnerable. He knows where you're the most likely to step into a temptation that he throws in front of you. He knows he's going to watch. He's patient. He's patient. He'll wait. He'll wait. But he'll study you and figure out a plan and a scheme and a plan against you to take you down. Because guess what? If he takes you down, he takes your family down. Guess what? He takes your family down. He takes this church down. He knows what he's doing. He's watching. He's watching for your most vulnerable spot, and that's where he'll hit you. 
That's where he'll drop that temptation in front of you. That's where he'll drop that trap in front of you. That's where he'll put that snare in front of you because he's figured you out and he knows that 99.9% of the time, if he puts this thing in front of you, you're going to give in to that temptation. Whatever it is, you know what it is for you because right now you're thinking about it. And we've got to shut him down. In fact, we have the authority to shut him down in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. But we got to do that. Let me listen, y'all. Listen. What's the last thing? What's the last thing that you do? I got to hurry and finish this thing up. What's the last thing that you do at night before you go to bed? You you go in there, brush your teeth, maybe put your pajamas on. I wear gym shorts. I put my gym shorts on. Whatever it may be that you sleep in at night, you go. You take your contacts out if you wear contacts. Ladies, you go in there and take all your all your stuff off, your makeup and all that kind of stuff. And 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 but but most of us most of us men, one of our last things to do. Go lock the door, right? Go lock the door. That's your job. Protect your family. So go lock the door. Why? Because you want to make sure that the bad guys that are out there don't get on the inside and do damage to the people that you love and care most about in your entire life. So you can do everything that you can to keep them outside. And then if they do happen to get inside, you got that shotgun, you got that nine, you got that 45, you got, you got the whole arsenal ready. If they come in, if they do get in, but you're going to do your best to keep them out, right? I mean, what if you walked up to your house, walked up to your front door tonight, getting ready to lock that deadbolt, and you open it up and stand on the other side as a murderer, stand on the other side as a rapist, Standing on the other side is a trafficker that wants to come in and kidnap your kids and go use them in, in trafficking. What would you do? You'd go just step back and go, well, hey, sir, come on in. <laughs> Man, you wouldn't, you wouldn't leave, you wouldn't leave a sliver of that door open. You'd you'd slam it, lock it, make sure. And yet, how many times in our spiritual lives do we leave the door cracked open? Because of our our little things, just this little, this is not that bad a sin. I mean, it's really not that bad. There's a whole lot of people doing a whole lot more things that are a whole lot worse than what I'm doing. And yet I'm telling you, my friend, you leave that crack open, that door of your spiritual life cracked open. Let me tell you something, the enemy that we have, you give him that cracked open door and he will kick it open and he's coming in with a vengeance. Because he's a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, he's not roaring on the other side of the door. He's just standing there. But, boy, when you crack it open and you give in to that temptation, that sin, that vulnerability where you, you give in, then he's kicking the door open and he's coming in. And the pain and the heartache happens. A whole lot of what we, and that's why church, we got to be the church. We got to be people of prayer. We got to be people of the word. We got to be people of commitment and holiness and righteousness before the Father. We got to take care of each other. We got to watch each other's back. And when we see one of our brothers and sisters this cracked open the door, we got to go say, hey, man, you got to close that door. You can't leave that door open in your life. Do you realize if you do that, what's going to happen to your marriage? Do you realize if you do that, what's going to happen to your kids? Do you realize if you do that, what could happen to your business and your everything in your health and everything in your life? Do you realize if you do that, what could happen to our church if you leave that door open? There's a real possibility of pain and heartache because of the spiritual battles that we're in. 
When the church is being the church, and I'm telling you, I'm seeing it, experiencing it in my life at a level I've told you before, at a level I've never experienced in my life. The intensity of spiritual warfare against me and against my family is at a level I have never experienced in my life. And I'm thankful for that because <laughs> we must be doing something right. So I'll tell you that, First Baptist floor, if we're going to be that church, you get ready. The enemy's coming. He's already coming. He's already looking. He's already scheming. He's already planning, which is why I'm calling these men to come pray in, in the mornings, crying out to God, God, give us what we need. God, help us to be the men we're supposed to be. God, help us. So I want to, but I want to end on a positive note. <laughs> so there's one more real possibility. There's the real possibility that we're going to see God move and we're going to turn the world upside down. Man, that's, <laughs> that's what they said about Paul and Silas. The authorities said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here. I'm telling you, I long for the day where folks are going to talk about First Baptist floor and say those folks are turning the world upside down for Jesus. Those folks are turning the world upside down. Not because they got some great preacher, not because they got great staff, not because they're, they're super spiritual people, but just because they're doing what God's called them to do. They're being the church. The preacher preached a whole series on what the, who the church is supposed to be and the power of the church and the prayer of the church and the problems of the church and the people of the church and the possibilities of the church, and they actually took it to heart and believed that that's the truth of the Word of God. Then they started living it, and they started turning the world upside down. You want to be a part of a church like that? I do. And I believe there is the very, very, very real possibility that I get to pastor a church like that. Because I'm your pastor, and I believe that's what God wants to do here. I believe that. God wants to use us in ways we've never experienced before. And then we're going to turn the world upside down for him. Now, what does that look like? <laughs> have no idea. No idea. I do know this. If your kid's sitting there at the kitchen table with a bowl of Fruit Loops and he hits the corner of that bowl and it flips over onto the floor, you got a mess, right? And then you got to go to work cleaning up that mess. And when, when things get turned upside down, it might get messy because messy people might start showing up because they find out those people really love people. Those people really care. Those people really believe the Bible. Those people really love the way Jesus loves people. That means we've got to go to work. It means there ain't going to be a whole lot of people sitting on the sidelines. And it might mean some people say, you know what, I can't do that. I can't be a part of it. We may see people leave. We may have people that say, you know, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. It's too much. We may have people that will walk away and say, I'm not going to be a part of that. It's part of it. That, that may happen. I'm not, I'm not prophesying that. I'm just saying it could. But I want to see God. I believe God wants to use us to turn the world upside down for his glory and for his kingdom. And in this day and age, in what we're experiencing in our families, in our marriages, in our churches, in our community, in our nation, I need to be a church that is committed to being the church. I want to be that church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, will you help us today, Lord, to make the kind of commitment, whatever that means. I don't know what that means for the folks in this room other than me. 
think I know part of what it means for me as you continue to work in my life, but I can't say that for anybody else, but Lord, I, I know we're the church, and for us to turn the world upside down, that means that the people in this room, the people in this room, I ain't talking to the 9.30 folks anymore. I'm not talking to the 8 o'clock people. I'm talking to the 11 o'clock people. That The people in this room have got to make a commitment. I'm going to be the kind of person, the kind of child of God, the kind of Christian, the church. I'm going to be a part of the church. I'm going to be that kind of person to help turn the world upside down. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.